The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Don't miss Pat and Stu. And the McDonald's people were like, hey, what if we have a giant purple blob come in and steal all our shakes? Uh-huh. And, uh, and they said, we already have that one guy in that uh, Tampa store. They know it was Jeffy dressed in purple. Yeah. But they kind of based it off of that, I think. I didn't steal the shakes from McDonald's. The people paid for them. And we just, I just took them from the people. Oh, that's a totally different well, story. All right. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It is always an honor, privilege. I'm humbled to be with you, and thank you for listening. If this is your first time, I hope you hear a voice here of rationality, of pragmatism, of patriotism. An American Muslim who holds no punches, who is not an apologist, and realizes that we... As Muslims, as those blessed with living in the land of freedom, living in the lap of liberty, have a unique responsibility to engage, to lead reform, to use these blessings we have to correct the deviations of many within our faith, and especially of the political movement of Islamism. Week to week on this podcast, I hope you can find a place that we engage you and I together engage issues that are on the front page that sometimes on the back page that should be on the front page issues of reform of militant islamism of misogyny of fgm of sharia of foreign policy domestic policy and sometimes outside the issues of faith healthcare other things that may need some illumination of where we should head as a country. So thank you for being with me. This week, we have, as always, a lot to talk about. I want to spend some time talking to you about a a resignation of what some may dismiss as an Obama holdover, but uh, I think is a sign of, hopefully, a new page in Homeland Security, which many of us have been hoping for. And... Also, we'll look at uh, this change in the State Department's mission. Maybe a few words that have been omitted. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something we need to keep our eyes open about. We'll talk about a recent piece, yes, in the Huffington Post that talks about how you can't reform something that can't be criticized. And we're talking about Islam. And last, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the old head of the Democratic Party, who fell out of disfavor for a number of issues. The story that should be on the front page is her Pakistani IT ring with with an individual that tried to escape to Pakistan with a few hundred thousand dollars. Many hard drives that were attempted to be destroyed, and he and his company had access to a number of members of Congress's information. A lot to talk about in the area of counter-Islamism. This is Zudi Jasser. So, so this week I want to start with talking about George Saleem. George Saleem, an Arab-American, misidentified by some of the lefty media this week uh, as a Muslim. I don't believe he's a Muslim. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. But uh, he is a protege of the Arab-American Institute, that petro, petro-Arab, petro Islamist sympathizing organization run by Jim Zolby, one of the premier tools, premier tools and instruments of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Good old Jim Zolby. If you ever want to get an apologist, he might say a few things behind the scenes that might sound American, that might sound anti-Islamist, and uh, at the end of the day, Every interaction I've seen with him publicly has been one of defending the status quo, one of 
talking about change slowly over decades into next generations, which puts you to sleep. Well, anyway, one of the byproducts of his intern program and at the Arab American Institute was George Saleem. George Saleem was a key Homeland Security official who basically the Atlantic dubbed as the leader of the violent extremism, countering violent extremism or CVE program. And needless to say, before I tell you what the Atlantic said, the Atlantic is part of an institution that has heavy funding with petro-Islamist apologists from Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and other places. So take this with a major, major grain of sand. I mean, grain of salt, if you will. So I actually testified to Senator Cruz's subcommittee on willful blindness. We testified in September 2016 on the ideology, and I talked to you about this last fall. Well, George Salim... And again, this often happens. Uh, the administration would not provide witnesses to testify with our panel, so he testified on his own. And again, provided apologetics about what they're finding, what they're fighting, the ideology, etc., but would not would not nail down exactly how they identify partners or non-partners. Well, now he tenders his resignation just this week, claiming that there were clearly political appointees in this administration, the Trump administration, who didn't see the value of community partnerships with American Muslims, Salim told The Atlantic. Peter Beinert, a far lefty apologist for Islamist groups. And Beinert called this the clearest sign that the government of cooperation with Muslim communities. Look at the look at the gall. Muslim communities which has proved crucial to preventing terrorist attacks is breaking down. And then Beinert goes on to criticize the conservative review that broke the story uh, about how Salim had actually been apologetic and worked with groups like MPAC and even while they claimed not to work directly with CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, they clearly did a lot to facilitate their networking in the uh, Muslim Islamist community. And that's why I think it's important to note that the Obama administration did everything in their power to pretend like they weren't taking sides in the Muslim community, but yet did everything to empower a vague, nebulous approach, which by countering a symptom of violent extremism or terrorism, and avoiding Islamism, the ideology of identity politics, political Islam, and the Islamist legacy groups such as MPAC and CARE and Muslim American Society. They basically worked with both the arsonists and the firefighters. Now, this report at The Atlantic identified Salim as a conservative Republican who many Muslim activists viewed with suspicion. Now, I never personally had any interaction with Salim other than, I think, uh, saying hi to him as he left the testimony table and then our panel arrived right after his at the uh, cruise hearings last fall. But... For two years, he was the director of the Office of Community Partnerships and Department of Homeland Security and the leader of the federal CVE task force. And he's an Arab American with family being Egyptian and Lebanese. He worked at the Arab American Institute, and he was an alternate delegate to the Bush Convention and Republican National Convention 04. And he joined the Bush administration at that time and stayed over in the Obama administration. And in 2008, Bush Secretary of Homeland Security Chertoff, not Barack Obama, as according to Beinert, who first instructed the federal government to avoid terms like Islamist and Islamic. Yeah, we understand this is a bipartisan illness, a bipartisan illness that refuses to identify the ideologies that radicalize Muslims, refuses, refuses to identify the direct connection between theocratic Islamism and violent Islamism. The direct, the obvious connection. So therefore, individuals like 
George Saleem would not work with or even acknowledge the existence of Islamism as a nonviolent pathway and ended up empowering Islamist groups as long as they eschewed terrorism and said they were working against violent extremism. And yet the left claimed that he was marginalized and he was because he was a conservative. And somehow the Trump administration is super radical and that's why he left. But at the end of the day, Salim articulated the exact premise that Obama wanted, which is that Islamism is not a term they will use. Islamist groups are groups they would actually work with. So he was everything they wanted. The yes man to work with the Islamist groups and give them grants like Homeland Security awarded the Muslim Public Affairs Council, who I debated in January, Salam Mariati, who refused to acknowledge the need for reform and yet also said that they were doing it. So he tried to play both sides of the stream and claimed that he had contacts and works with the community, though their program called Safe Spaces, I think by any barometer, has been a failure, an abject failure, despite the reported tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars put into it. Why? Because the safe spaces were not about fighting the establishment, which they are part of, the Islamist establishment that demonizes America, radicalizes Muslims by telling them that their grievances are legitimate, the bigotry of the rest of America is legitimate, and somehow they are under siege, so the siege mentality that radicalizes Muslims was part of what they fed into and our government was paying for. So Salim didn't really address that. I'm not saddened to see George Salim leave. He's part of the old era of the Islamists having a foothold in government. Now, he's not an Islamist, but as per the work of the Arab American Institute and others of Petro-Islamic de derivation, he might as well be. The Atlantic perch of Petro-Islam called his departure another example of the, of the federal government's institutional breakdown in the Trump era. Well, as you all know, I've had my criticisms of the Trump administration. will continue to do so. But to any place in which... Those who believe in the old language of CVE, and I think we've seen the program of CVE coming to an end. What will replace it? That's the million-dollar question. So, George Salim, be interesting to find out what your real feelings are when you get out of government. But if he doesn't immediately articulate that one of his disappointments was not attending and targeting Islamism, then, hey, I'm glad. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm glad he left. But if he now bemoans the Trump administration, bemoans other things and says he wants to continue, he wanted to continue CVE, thank God he's not in there anymore. And it's a joke that the Atlantic came to his defense because they are part of the Islamist, the Islamist lobby of the OIC in America. Conservative Review admitted to hosting, ad, noted that Salim admitted in his resignation to hosting hundreds of meetings with officials from CARE and other Islamist group. Now, Salim disputed that. But what's ironic, according to Beinert, is that CARE protested CVE. Wait, why is that ironic? It is commonplace for Islamists to constantly whine and complain that they're under siege no matter what happens. So they're always going to complain. It's like the Saudi government that complains they're trying to democratize and give women places, etc. And yet they're the most misogynist, draconian regime on the planet. It's all a facade in order to maintain control. So give me a break, Mr. Beinert. There is no modernization. There is no moderation. They are Islamists, and George Salim was working with them. 
This is Udi Jester. We'll be right back to continue the conversation about CVE and hopefully the death of it. Be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about CVE versus CVI. What's CVI? I didn't even mention that last segment. You know, the end of the era of CVE is no loss, no loss at all. It has been an obstacle. A Homeland Security Department that has been focused on a tactic, that has been focused on a symptom, has, as a result, been wasting billions of dollars on waiting for that final moment and predicting behavior that somehow they're going to be able to know when a non-militant jihadi becomes a militant jihadi. Very difficult. And they're bemoaning the departure of George Saleem because he was a conservative, because he was a Republican from Homeland Security, that that somehow bemoans the beginning of psychological ghettoization. That is complete an unmitigated nonsense, complete nonsense, because the ghettoization of Muslims is happening because of the lack of identification of the ideology. The ghettoization of the consciousness of American Muslims is happening because of the CVE program that allowed the Islamists to leave the government on defense to constantly push back no matter what they did. They constantly were obstacles to the programs in Minneapolis and Texas, all over the country because they said it targeted Muslims even though they wouldn't say Islamic, they wouldn't say Islamism. They were always on the defense. So why not identify and say, you know what? It's not a coincidence that we always call Muslim organizations to work with us as partners at George Saleem, thankfully now former DHS leader George Saleem. As he said, they want to partner with Muslims. Why partner with Muslims if Islam and Islamism has nothing to do with it? Well, that, that cognitive dissonance has to end will end as we shift and we see the end of CVE. The Muslim Public Affairs Council, though claims not to take any foreign money, which is fine, is a Muslim Brotherhood legacy group as seen by its founder, Maher Hathout and Hassan Hathout and the others who came from Egypt with a strong Islamist background. And the Muslim Public Affairs Council said, this is another nail in the coffin for community partnerships. Yeah, thankfully, it's good that we're putting nails in the coffin of a program that was working with Islamists, not with the general Muslim community, but Islamists. Now, who are the Muslims we should be working with? We have yet to develop that network, develop that organization's network, organizational network of Muslim groups that are non-Islamist, that are business-oriented, technology-oriented, university, liberal arts, humanities, or whatever it is, but non-theological, non-Islamist, non-identity politic. Those networks of organizations have yet to be developed, and once the government shifts 
to begin taking sides within the House of Islam and identifies the target as violent Islamism, and you realize that violent Islamism is precursed by nonviolent Islamism, then by necessity, Islamists are no longer partners. They are actually antagonists. Their ideas become monitored. And again, not by taking away their civil rights, not by unauthorized wiretapping or other illegitimate means, but legal means of monitoring the ideas, being aware of the pathologies that drive the radicalization of Muslims all over the world and domestically and drive that ghettoization that lefties claim the identification of the ideas will actually radicalize when in fact the lack, the blindness, the handing over of the reins of the Muslim community to the establishment, the Islamic establishment is exactly what radicalizes Muslims in America and in the West by handing them over to the petro-Islamic dominance. Quote from the Atlantic, he said, Finally, Salim's departure likely heralds a wider gulf. George Salim, the former head of the DHS-CVE, Counterviolent Extremist Program, left this week because he couldn't, didn't want to be a part of the end of that program. Heralds a wider gulf between Muslim communities and the federal government. Zaki Berzinji, which doesn't doesn't say here, but Berzinji is one of the core leaders. His father was one of the founders of the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups in America, who served as the White House liaison to Muslim Americans in Obama's final year. Notes that quote even Muslim groups that were critical of CVE felt they could talk to him, express their criticisms. They're going to be completely cut off now. Arab Ayyub, Abid Ayyub of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee agreed. We didn't buy CVE, he said, but at least there was a communication with the community. We didn't agree on most things, but hearing our voice was important. So I've always said, you know, who said we're not going to communicate? Who said communication is not appropriate? Sure, the government should communicate with Islamists, non-Islamists, etc., but Partnering is the problem. We should not be partnering with Islamist groups, brotherhood legacy groups, because their ideology is the intoxicant that radicalizes Muslims. Their ideology is the one that's the obstacle to fixing the core cancers that radicalize American Muslims. So they're not partners. Yes, if the death of CVE means marginalizing Islamist groups, wonderful. And when Zeki Berzinji, when the Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, when the Arab American Institute, MPAC, CARE, are whining about the departure of an individual who they fought anyway, it probably tells me he was impotent. It probably tells me he wasn't advocating against Islamism and that he was actually just buying time and promoting Islamist advancement and at least stability with the status quo and not disrupting the Islamic establishment that's been controlling our communities. So the shift to CVI is key. The end of CVE, countering violent extremism, is important. You can't defeat an enemy that you can't name and you can't criticize, and the government cannot find Islamists before they become violent if they don't begin to monitor Islamism and have the courage to admit that there are strains of Islam, especially political Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood networks, violent or nonviolent. When you have an organization that has swords as its logo and its motto is that dying by the way of jihad is our dream for Allah, I don't care how nonviolent they claim to be. They are not partners in keeping our country safe. So good riddance, Mr. Salim. I hope you come out and talk about how you should have been more anti-Islamist, and then we'll work with you as fellow conservatives, if you are a conservative. But if you come out and bemoan the Trump administration, which I've been critical of too, but if you bemoan it because of its CVE ending, then you're missing you're missing what we in the free world should be doing to defeat radical Islamism, which is identifying and targeting 
the ideology and ending this nonsense, this whack-a-mole program of countering violent extremism. Thank God it's going to end. But what is it going to be replaced with? We have yet to know. Hopefully, the new Secretary of Homeland Security, as Kelly now has gone on to be Chief of Staff of the White House, will have the strength and the wherewithal to identify in the appointments that he works with and in the groups that he engages as true partners, the reformists in our Muslim reform movement, as we begin to hone the ideological war against not only violent Islamism, but to marginalize and make less less appealing the messaging of Islamists domestically and abroad. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Week to week, I bring you those stories that uh, few dive into, and especially Muslims dedicated to reform, American Muslim patriots, folks you've been waiting to hear for, who you are hungry and thirsty to hear for. That voice you don't get definitely on the mainstream media, and definitely not enough of on the Trump-obsessed media. Um, Now, speaking of President Trump, what has happened this week? A story from Josh Rogan, I think, deserves our attention here. Why? Because, listen, you know, I believe there's been a lot of good change with uh, a move more towards some frank talk in Washington to, uh, to um, dispensing with some of the old apologetics from the last administration. All good. But we also have to be careful. Remember, the one cabinet appointment I was very concerned about was Rex Tillerson. I told you at the time of his appointment that uh, we needed at least to have an adequate hearing of of what his positions were regarding Saudi Arabia, regarding Qatar, regarding how we were going to counter violent extremism and actually violent Islamism, as we talked about last segment, with a man who made his entire portfolio helping a company work with billions of dollars in industry coming from the Middle East that then launched his own relationship with Russia that now has ushered a period in the Middle East in which you've seen Assad bolster in a genocidal regime to snuff out a major revolution to help Iran bolster its Shia crescent, on and on. And Tillerson, while some of his answers clearly were clear that, at least to me, that he is an American patriot, I am concerned about what his position is on what the role of America is in the world. Now, Listen, we've had this argument, and I know there's a healthy, healthy debate in the conservative community, in the Republican Party, if you will, and also on the left in the Democratic Party about what is the role of America in the world. But let's let's make this clear. This conversation is not about – this conversation is not about the role of the military. It's the role of our government, or the role of our people, the role of our message, the role of our diplomats. That's what I'm talking about right now. So Josh Rogan, the Washington Post, this week, and I know the Washington Post has uh, been leading some of the anti-Trump uh, messaging, but Josh, I think, uh, has proved himself to be a pretty balanced reporter on national security and foreign policy issues. And he notes that Secretary of State Tillerson ordered his department to redefine its mission and issue a new statement of purpose to the world. The draft statements under review right now are similar to the old mission statement except for one thing. One thing alone. Any mention of promoting democracy is being eliminated. Yes, you heard that right. The United States of America State Department mission is now removing any mention of promoting democracy. Democracy. 
according to an email that went out, according to Josh Rogan, which he obtained the State Department's Executive Steering Committee convened a meeting of its leaders to draft new statements on the department's purpose, mission, and ambition as part of the overall reorganization of the State Department and USAID. The draft statements were being circulated for comment on Friday and could change before being finalized. The State Department's draft statement on its purpose is, we promote the security, prosperity, and interest of the American people globally. Okay, that's good. Yes, yes, that is what we do. The State Department's draft statement on its mission said, the mission is to lead America's foreign policy through global advocacy, action, and assistance to shape a safer, more prosperous world. So, safety and prosperity. Nothing about liberty or democracy. The State Department's draft statement on its ambition is the American people thrive in a peaceful and interconnected world that is free, resilient, and prosperous. Thrive in a peaceful and interconnected world that is free, resilient, and prosperous. Compare that to the one previous with the Obama and Bush administration from the 2016 financial report. The department's mission is to shape and sustain a peaceful, prosperous, just, and democratic world. Just and democratic world. And foster conditions for stability and progress for the benefit of the American people and people everywhere. This mission is shared with the USAID. And it goes on. So, the only significant difference is the deletion of justice and democracy. I guess we used to want to help the democratic world. We used to want to help advance ideas of liberty. We used to believe that Abraham Lincoln's message of us being a city on the hill was true, and now we intentionally actively remove that. Now, before all of you conservative friends of mine get apoplectic about what I'm trying to say, listen, make no mistake, the Obama administration did nothing to advance democracy. Nothing. They left the Green Revolution die in 2009 in Iran. They never supported the Syrian rebels and, if anything, allowed the Islamists to be radical, Muslims to be radicalized in Syria and allowed Saudi Arabia and Qatar to radicalize and, and grow an Islamist movement and create as the founding fathers of ISIS, if you will. No doubt. No doubt. We ignored free thinkers in Saudi Arabia. We ignored free thinkers in China, in, in Russia, all across the planet. No doubt. But... The substance of who we are as Americans, what our message is and what our State Department does, didn't change. Now, behaviorally, absolutely. And that's why we were all so critical of the Obama administration. But you may want to hand it to the Trump administration, the uh, Rex Tillerson shop, that they're speaking truth to the American people, saying we're no longer going to do that. And listen, if we were having a conversation about the role of the DOD globally? What is the role of the men and women in our armed services? Is it to promote democracy? You know, as hawkish as I am about the building of democracy and the end of tyrannies, I do not believe it is the role of the American military to do that. I do not. And how do I answer that? Because if my children, as I served in the Navy, what would I want my kids fighting for? Yes, I want them to defeat imminent threats. Imminent threats that would come to our shores. Absolutely. Imminent threats. But if they're not imminent threats, nation building, all this other nonsense, people need to do on their own. Countries need to do on their own. People need to strap up their bootstraps, defeat their own tyrants, have revolutions, and build societies. Now, having said that, it's not the role of the DOD. But the State Department, our U.S. information agency in the Cold War came out of the State Department. Public diplomacy, as it's called, which is the advancement of what we believe is the preference globally of universal human rights and the ideas that are the underpinnings of American democracy and liberty. 
And regardless of what, and this is what I tweeted out a few days ago, regardless of what the State Department says on its mission, buried on some walls in various embassies, regardless of what it says, America will still be the beacon and the leading ambassador for freedom and liberty abroad, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of what's happening. Obama tried to nail into the coffin America's role globally especially in the advocacy of freedom and liberty, and we still were the beacon of what people wanted to come to, what they sought in the Arab awakening as they tried to shed themselves of the tyrants, which often they failed. They saw American freedom as that freedom that exemplified what they were trying to come close to. Yes, they failed, and we'll keep trying over and over. But I think it's important for you and I to talk about this because... As things begin, they will end. If Tillerson's mission and his State Department is going to be filled with people that think it's right to remove the words, remove the words from the verbiage of the statements of the State Department of what we stand for, will tyrants take us seriously? The acts of moving, removing the words themselves will be looked upon globally as green lights for tyrants. We, can't, we couldn't get Obama to mention Rafe Bedoui's name, and we're hoping that maybe now things would change with the Trump administration. Will President Trump mention all the prisoners' conscience that, that the Saudi regime oppresses and tortures and kills in the name of counterterrorism, but actually in the name of Wahhabism? and the suppression of free thinking and critical thinking. We're going to talk next segment about critical thinking and criticizing Islam. How, how do, why is that so important to do, even for those of us that love our faith? And these countries imprison and torture people under the name of criticizing Islam when in fact they're looking for liberty and freedom. And now we're taking that word out because it's none of our business, because our State Department leaders now who come from an era of petro- global establishment thinking. They might have been anti-establishment here domestically, but they are proving that they want to work with the power structures that suffocate the peoples of the world, at least verbally. And there's mixed signals for sure. President Trump gave Assad a bombing that Obama never did. So we see a strong-handed military response when it's necessary that Obama never had the courage to do. But when it comes to advancing American ideas, that is the beacon, the primary beacon of hope for all of humanity, I believe, I hope we're not seeing the beginning of the decrease in that illumination. I fear we may be. When I sat on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, we felt that religious freedom, especially as religious freedom went, so did the rest of society. If it, if it flourished, the rest of societies advanced. If it decreased, they fell into tyranny and a security state, Sharia state. What will the ambassador news? Governor Brownback, congratulations, Governor Brownback of, of Kansas. Previously a center, a long history of promoting religious liberty and freedom. We, through the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, congratulated him on that appointment this week. What will his role be in advancing religious freedom as the ambassador at large of religious freedom with a seat on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom if the State Department is scrubbing the promotion of just democracies in its verbiage. Maybe we're making too much out of it. Maybe the next iteration will use words like liberty, religious freedom, and democracy. But this first sign, I want to hold our, my president, our president, to task. My secretary of state, our secretary of state, to task. We will not tolerate. We will not tolerate. The, the the minimization of American priorities of the advancement of universal human rights. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. 
You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the Chris Salcedo Show. I've got to be honest with you, which makes me tend to believe that those who are leaking are children. Damage other world leaders, America's ability to conduct foreign policy just to take down Donald Trump. That they would do that. Short-sighted children. So these leaks are dangerous. These leaks are far-reaching beyond the Trump administration. The Chris Salcedo Show. Weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Welcome back to our last segment this week. It's, it is always just a, a pleasure to spend some time with you and talk to you and share with you some of what's on the top of my mind, issues that I read about that uh, I think would be helpful to engage with you on, and you can then take to your friends, to your family, to your contacts as what I think should be at the top of conversation. One of the things that we've talked about repeatedly on this program is how do you instigate, how do you begin reform? What are the seeds that can change stagnation, the status quo, the establishment, to disruption, to change, to reform? How do we do that? How do we change disruption? How do we change from status quo stagnation to reformation and disruption against the establishment? It's going to take a lot. The beginning point, I think, a piece highlighted this week, and believe it or not, in the Huffington Post, a piece highlighted in the Huffington Post was, if we can't criticize Islam, we can't reform it. If we can't criticize Islam, we can't reform it. And, um, I, you know, the piece was fantastic. I think it brought out some good points. I may not agree with all of it, but Qasem al-Ghazali, a uh, IHEIU representative at the UN Human Rights Council, talked about the fact that it's, quote, become crystal clear that Islam needs an enlightenment. However, initiating that enlightenment process is a near impossible task. So what can be done? First, it's important to agree on some basic concepts. It's not Islamophobic for someone to criticize everyday conservative Islam and Islamism in particular. On the contrary, criticism is a prerequisite for any lasting reformation within Islam. We know from history the Enlightenment did not happen overnight. It's not as if Europe woke up and jumped into the Reformation and formed pluralistic secular society overnight. So the issue is, and I think he raises a good point, is that the key to beginning is Muslims accepting that we will repeatedly criticize Islam. Now, it might not be our Islam at our homes or the versions that we choose to interpret, but the defense and the protection of ex-Muslims, non-Muslims, former Muslims, anyone, Muslims who choose to reject things that we may consider majority to be heresy is the way to protect and love the faith. I think it's in the way of the Prophet Muhammad when he was confronted with pagans and others who rejected the existence of one God, who rejected his message as somehow mythical or, or, or contrived or fake or whatever you want to call it. His honor, his integrity, his humility before all those who criticized and demeaned his belief is what made him Muslim, what made him honorable, what made him Islamic, I believe. And then ultimately... We now in the 21st century is what makes us free. Freedom and liberty were not concepts at the tip of the tongue. Hurriye was not a word that was that prevalent in the 7th century. Anywhere in the world, let alone in Peninsular Arabia, in the, in the Najd. But now today, the question is not yes, as we've said many times, I will admit if you talk about nonviolent Islamism, the concept of an Islamic state and an Islamic political party with a Sharia state, the Prophet Muhammad was an Islamist. But if the Prophet were alive today, I believe he would wholly reject Islamism, as he would reject many of the aspects of Salafism. Maybe not private Salafism in our own 
personal pietistic practice of religion, of faith, of fasting and practice, of ibadat, as we say in Arabic, or worship. But I think public Salafism of laws and other aspects that were 7th century interpretations, Salaf meaning the friends of the Prophet, Salaf meaning trying to recreate what the Prophet did at that time. I think today he would say enough with that, modernize political science, modernize the most free, the most humane, universally humane society is a secular one. Not that one that is against religion, not freedom from religion, but freedom of religion that celebrates religious practice or no practice. And that begins, that begins with the ability to criticize wholly, partially, whatever percent you want, the faith itself. You cannot reform a faith that you can't criticize. The prisons, the walls, the cells, the torture chambers of tyrants across the planet from Turkey to Saudi Arabia to Pakistan are filled with human beings, Muslim and non-Muslim alike, who chose to criticize the version of Islam of the government, who chose to criticize the president of a regime that equated criticism of that regime with criticism of Islam, who chose to make blasphemy into sedition laws because you have an Islamic state who chose to make leaving Islam apostasy into treason because you have an Islamic state. So the only way to endorse criticism of Islam as a right is to end the Islamic state and is to talk about the rights of human beings being equal before God, before society, no matter what their faith or even if they have no faith. But I think also the atheists, the secular humanists, others that may not see the value in religion also need to understand, as we people of faith understand, the importance of, of eight individual agency. So if we as individual agents recognize and believe that rights come from God, that doesn't make us less human just because we believe in God for those who are atheists and may not understand that belief. As long as they understand that when I served in the Navy, I would defend their right to free speech and die for that right, regardless of whether they believe in God or not, then that makes us equal. We may disagree on God, we may disagree on Islam or Christianity, whatever it may be, but we are equal before the law. And for me, I believe we're equal under God. But as a Muslim, I never want to be a part of a society that talks about equality under Islam. Because once you believe those rights come from Islam and not from God and from a clerics or scholars or interpretation of Islam, then you're handing the keys to interpretation of law to the government, to the theocrat, to the scholars, and thus to a theocratic state, a Sharia state. You can't reform a faith that you can't criticize. So please, if you're Muslim out there and you believe in the necessity of reform, thicken your skin and know that it's the fringes of those who are most, what we, some may call offensive. I don't get offended. I believe that protecting the rights of those who want to offend is the way we protect all of our rights because it's the most offensive that raised the ire of those who want to take away their rights. The non-offensive criticism of Islam is looked upon as normal. But the, the offensive ones that we need to protect the most because they test the limits of what we mean by freedom. Do we mean what we say and say what we mean when we talk about free speech and the rights of all to criticize? I want to leave you with one story today. What the heck is going on in Debbie Wasserman Schultz's office? For months, the story broke last year about the Pakistani ring. These four guys that were doing IT work that had... Members of Congress, information of offices from the head of the DNC, including her congressional office staff that had been tasked with IT work, networking in Congress, and apparently had been shifting material to possibly our enemies. 
the investigation now is underway. No media is covering it. But the fact that nobody was, from the beginning, when Daily Caller has been doing most of the work on this story, I was saying that this proves that when you have security clearances for anyone at any level of government, secret or top secret, they need to be vetted for Islamist adherence. Not about terrorism or violence or not. Islamism. Do they believe in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan as a great republic that is incompatible with America? Do they believe in the Islamic State for Muslim majority? This ring is not only corrupt and it looks like it's going deep. Wasserman Schultz may be involved in some cover-up issues. The House Intelligence Committee is finally beginning to address these issues. But as you go home tonight, as you listen to this, begin to demand that your congressmen and women, that our media begin to address this story and expose how a, a Pakistani ring, this guy was stopped at the airport this week with hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash on his way back to Pakistan and, and never coming back. And luckily, he was stopped by our security services because they have an active investigation going from Capitol Police, Homeland Security, FBI, etc. This stinks to high heaven. And I hope we get the answers of what's happening in Debbie Wasserman Schultz's office. She happened to have fired them a day before they were arrested. They were on the payroll a year more than they should have been. She should have removed them the moment the investigation started about the information that was leaving her office and other offices a year ago. But now she finally she finally fired them. Ask more questions. Get people to talk about the story. Yes, we, they, they can talk about Russia and other things, but come on, cover this story. The Pakistani Islamist Americans, so-called Americans, that apparently compromised our national security and the security information of members of Congress, that should be a story in every daily news for the next days and weeks until we know what the heck happened. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and I'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.